Joshua 1, there we read the entire chapter. Hear now the word of the Lord, Joshua 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, Prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan, to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest, and and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them. Until the Lord gives you rest, gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. The land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your word, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. This truly is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to keep the passage open as we look at it together this morning, brothers and sisters. Your congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the book of Joshua gets a very negative rating in our day and age, depending on how you read it. For people who are very sensitive to the matter of genocide, this book is an absolute scandal. For the Lord commands the destruction, the removal of the Canaanites in the land. How can God do this? Genocide, commanded by God? The model that we have in our day and age is that of the global village, and let's all just get along. Perhaps some of you have seen the bumper sticker, 
coexist. I've seen it on a few cars in this area and elsewhere. And it, the letters are utilize the symbols of, a different, of various religions. Now, to be sure, Christians are called to be at peace with all men. We are. We seek to do that. But if coexist means all religions are basically the same, and all routes, if sincerely believed, lead to the same God, I would take strong exception to that. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so the book of Joshua, to most modern hearers, readers, is a scandal. And it gets a negative rating. But Christians are always called upon to read the text of Scripture in context. Right? Context determines everything. And so what is the context here, at least in redemptive history? God has brought his people out of the iron furnace of Egypt. God has been with his people now for four decades, for 40 years, taking care of them because he's bringing them to the promised land. Now the land, the promised land, in fact, belongs to Yahweh, to the Lord. It's his land. And he wants that land to be inhabited by his people. But currently, Canaanites are living there, and even archaeologists would say that the, the level of depravity among Canaanites at this time was abysmally low, it was horrific. And so God will remove the Canaanites and bring his people in. But Moses is not going to be the leader. No, Moses is not going to be the leader. Moses had disobeyed the Lord when the Lord told him, talk to the rock so that water may flow out. But instead, Moses, in his anger, he strikes the rock. The Lord still gives them water, but he says to Moses, you didn't believe me, did you? I will allow you to see the promised land from a mountaintop, but you will not enter. Moses, as it were, dies at the very door land of the promised land. And so this morning, I want to minister God's word to you from Joshua 1 under the theme, the Lord prepares Joshua for conquest leadership. First notice the chain of command or the chain of leadership. Secondly, the equipment for leadership. And then finally, the call to lead with no fear. The Lord prepares Joshua for conquest leadership. First of all then, the chain of leadership, or the chain of command. The new leader is Joshua. A beautiful name. What does it mean? The name means the Lord wins. The Lord saves. The Lord Yahweh has victory. Beautiful name. The new leader is now Joshua because Moses, the servant of the Lord, is dead. And it's very interesting in this first chapter to see how the chain of command is set up. Now, Israel is clearly viewed here as an army. Now, there's, it's more than an army, but it is at least an army. And any army needs a chain of command. In the United States, 
the commander-in-chief is our president, Joseph Biden. Beneath him, the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Beneath them, the various branches of our military service. All right. Any military force needs an appropriate chain of command. And Yahweh is fully in command here, fully in command. And he speaks to Joshua his marching orders. And then in verse 10, Joshua turns around, and then he speaks to the officers of the people so that they may prepare the various tribes for what's about to happen. And then when you get to verse 16, the officers of the people then turn around to encourage Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Now, by the way, this chain of command will be violated later on. When you come to Joshua 9 and the story of the Gibeonites, the Gibeonites realize that they're going to lose. And so they, they disguise themselves in old clothes. They take old bread and they say to the Israelites, we've come from a long, long way away. Uh, please make a treaty with us. that We'll live in peace. Joshua does not consult the Lord. He does not consult the commander-in-chief, the Lord, and he, he makes a treaty with the Gibeonites. Well, the church today also has a clear chain of command. The head of the church today is not the Bishop of Rome. It's not the Archbishop of Canterbury. It's Jesus Christ. Now, we all accept that so quickly and so readily, but let that sink in. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and he alone. But it, it, it pleases him to rule us by his word and spirit. And therefore, he places within the church pastors, elders, and deacons. And they have the task of ministering that word of God to us. Those offices are ministerial. They are not magisterial. The word minister in Latin simply means a servant. For the true and only magistrate of the church is Christ and Christ alone. And therefore, the office bearers of the church are called upon to care for us, not to dominate in any selfish or cruel way, there to care for us. And we, in turn, are to give to them our proper submission. The book of Hebrews, in the 13th chapter, has two verses that address this clearly. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, and consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then it goes on in verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Joshua 1 clearly reveals that there is a kind of chain of command, a chain of leadership operating already in the church of Jesus Christ. But now, Joshua is equipped for conquest leadership, and what is his equipment? You know, if you know anything about history, when the Allies were preparing Operation Overlord, the great invasion of Nazi Europe that began on June 6, 1944, there was an enormous amount of planning that went into that. For the Allied leaders needed to think, how many soldiers will we need? 
How many boats will we need for the transport of these soldiers? How many planes need to be in action on that day? They even had to consult the weathermen. What does, what's the weather going to be uh, in this period of time? So a lot of planning and organization went into that operation. For the Nazi soldiers, we're not just going to lay down their arms and welcome the Allies. They're not going to invite them onto the beach for a spot of tea. The Allies needed enough men and equipment to get the job done. And so now what does God say to Joshua about this? Is he going to have Joshua put the Israelite soldiers through a kind of Gideon test? Remember, Gideon gets thousands of soldiers, and then he first says, if you're too scared, just go home. Many do. And the Lord says, there's way too many soldiers here, so they have to do the, the drinking from the, from the stream test. And Gideon ends up with 300 men. Well, what are Joshua's weapons, and how many soldiers will he need? God's directions for Joshua here strike our ears in 2022 as very strange. In verses 7 and following, the Lord tells Joshua to be very careful to obey everything in Mosaic law, to turn neither to the right nor to the left, Keep your focus on the law of Moses. Obedience. But there's more. In verse 8, Joshua should speak this law. He should meditate on it day and night, day and night, day and night. That's all the time, folks. That's all the time. Think deeply about it. Talk about it. And do it. In other words, fully embrace what God has revealed through Moses, my servant. Now, do you think, congregation, do you think this will impress the Canaanites and their armies? How about the numbers? What are the numbers that Joshua is going to need? Well, if you read verses 6 through 8, it only mentions Joshua. Nobody else. Joshua, you will cause this people to receive the land. Be strong and courageous, for then you will have success. It's all going to rest, it seems, upon one man, Joshua. You get the picture now? One man, Joshua, is called by Yahweh the Lord to take the word of God in hand, to embrace it, to do it, and then he will receive victory. Then he will be successful in all that he does. Does this sound like a joke? What is the man Joshua to do with this? I'm to go into battle armed only with the Bible? Brothers and sisters, when we read these words in these verses about what the equipment is, will enable Joshua to lead. Did you catch it? A lot of these phrases come right out of Psalm 1, or it is a clear echo of what is in Psalm 1. Remember that psalm? How blessed is the man who doesn't consort at all. He doesn't stop, talk with, stand with, sit with, scorners or sinners. 
but rather his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on that law he meditates, how often? Day and night, day and night, day and night. He's like what? He's like a tree deeply planted next to a stream that never is lacking in water. And because he is well watered, this tree will always have leaves that flourish. He will bring forth fruit on time. The man who does this will always be successful. I don't know, was the inspired psalmist thinking of God's instructions to Joshua 1 when he penned those words? What do you think? Did he have God's commission to Joshua in mind when he put down the words that describes the very happy man of Psalm 1? You know, Psalm 1 is critically situated, isn't it? When you enter the cathedral of the Psalter, 150 psalms, you enter in a psalm that praises the law of God, that gives the map for the way of the righteous over against the way of the wicked. The way of the righteous will flourish. The Lord knows it. The way of the wicked will perish because they are nothing more than chaff, blown away. That's how we enter the Psalter. When we enter the book of Joshua, we enter in chapter 1, of course, obviously. And there, this chapter is making some very critical points to its readers. If we get distracted by the question of genocide, we miss the point. We read the text in context. The man who is blessed and is successful is one who delights in all that God has revealed in his word. He loves God's word. All of it. All of the time. The only person who is really fulfilling Psalm 1 is not your most pious church member here in Damat. The person who, who fulfills that is Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ could love God's word and meditate on it day and night in a way that far surpasses anything you and I can do. And therefore, Joshua 1 introduces us to the preparation that the leader needs in order to have a successful campaign in conquering the promised land. Hard to believe, isn't it? Hard to believe that Joshua's first, his first instruction, have nothing to do with spears, spears or swords, have nothing to do with the number of many needs. His first instructions are take this word and embrace it in your heart, your mind, your mouth, your hands. Think about it, talk about it, do it. And then what happens if Joshua is successful? Did you catch that? Then the people of God will take possession of the promised land, and they will enter the rest, the rest that God has in store for them. Notice verses 13 through 15, for example. If this campaign is successful, Israel enters her rest. Now, I want to focus on that word rest for just a moment lest we misunderstand it. The promised land was not a retirement village. It's not rest in that sense. It's not, it's not a rest home. 
where the Israelites could just sit on their porch in their rocking chair, you know, and sipping uh, lemonade and, you know, watching the, the dust clouds uh, move around them. No, that's not what the word rest means. The word rest means to be settled securely, to have a place where you are at peace. Your enemies are not harassing you. You are settled. You are at rest, enabling you to work and play and rejoice and worship in God's perfect shalom. That's rest. That's why that eternal rest still awaits us. Where, you know, the new creation is not going to be a rest home, not a retirement village. It's a place where we have no more enemies. Death is conquered. Sin is gone. Uh, the, the wicked are, are gone. So that in the new creation, we will be able to live and work and enjoy God forever. Listen, by the way, to what we, we, we listened to Psalm 95 earlier as our call to worship. Well, come, let us worship and bow down. But if we read the rest of that psalm, this is what we hear today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof. Though they had seen my work for 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter My rest. They will not enter my rest. The church is told that she must embrace the word of God in its totality. Think about it, do it, lest we die like the Israelites died in the wilderness. Rest in the promised land means living, working, playing, serving in perfect shalom, perfect peace, provided by our Heavenly Father. And then finally, Joshua is called to lead with no fear. Did you hear that kind of refrain over and over? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Be strong. What a great future, therefore, lies before Joshua and the people of God. And yet what a strange kind of preparation it is in the conquest of the land. But you know, from the vantage point of the New Testament, this should not sound strange to our ears at all. This should be right in line with the thinking of God's people. For Joshua is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. The name Joshua, the Lord saves, is basically an Old Testament version of the name Jesus. For in Matthew, we are told, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he shall save his people from their sins. The Lord saves. The Lord wins. The Lord has victory. And that's why Jesus is our leader now in the year 2022 in leading us to victory against his foes. Jesus means the Lord saves. Yahweh wins. You know, this chapter really looks forward to something that Jesus revealed to Pilate. 
and Jesus was on trial for his life. The Jewish crowds, Pilate throws this question out to them, what shall I do with your king? They respond, we have no king but Caesar. What foolish words. We are placing ourselves under a pagan Roman dictator. Pilate asks Jesus, well, are you a king? And Jesus basically says, yes, I am. But, and here's the critical difference, my kingdom is not of this world. It does not have its origins in this world. Otherwise, my followers would fight. Earlier in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the disciples realize Jesus is being put under arrest, Peter draws his sword, he swings it at the head of the servant of the high priest, Malchus. Now, I suspect, the, I, I suspect Peter was trying to decapitate him, or at least strike a death blow in the neck. The man ducks, gets his ear cut off. What does Jesus say to Peter? Put your sword away. All those who live by the sword will die by the sword. My kingdom is not of this world, lest otherwise my followers would fight. The fight, brothers and sisters, is a spiritual fight. For the struggle is against an enemy, not a physical struggle. It is a spiritual struggle. But the equipment that we have is provided in the gospel, provided by Jesus Christ, our leader. You see, that's why the Apostle Paul could say in Ephesians 6, Verses 10 and following, the kind of equipment that we have. You know, have you ever heard this saying, you don't bring a knife to a gunfight? You don't bring a knife to a gunfight because if you bring only a knife to the gunfight, you are clearly outweaponed in the fight. And therefore, brothers and sisters, if the fight that we face is truly spiritual, Physical weapons will, will do nothing to help you. This is the kind of equipment, both defensive but also offensive, that Paul describes in Ephesians 6. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, readiness for the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. All of these things are given to us in the gospel. Think of it. Righteousness. Our sin goes to Christ. He dies on the cross, but he blesses us with the amazing gift of the garment of salvation, of righteousness. More than that, he conquers death. He tramples it down on resurrection morning. More than that, lavishes the church with his Holy Spirit so that that spirit can take the things of Christ and apply them in a powerful way in your lives and in mine. We read, we study, we think a lot about what God says to us in the Bible. And that's work, isn't it? And yet the, uh, the results are amazing. When the truths begin to come out and we begin to see not only old treasures, but we see new treasures in his word. We are being more and more equipped to live in this world as his, as his people. We are then ready to fight the spiritual battles that come our way. And therefore, there's no need for the church to resort to gimmicks, tricks, 
cute and colorful things that really don't matter at all. We're not interested in feeding the world with potato chips. The Word of God is food that nourishes the soul and equips the hands and heads for action. Let me conclude. What kind of war is this that's being outlined here in Joshua 1? It's a kind of war that the world has never seen to this point. No, no, the world always expects victory through tanks and bombs and lies and you name it, horrible things. This raises issues for us, doesn't it? The Lord Yahweh is not interested in physical weaponry here. But then forces upon us this question, these questions. Can we submit humbly to the Lord's word, seeking his face, and reminding ourselves that it is not our wisdom, not our cleverness, not our skill or strength that will win the day? Can we always be confident that God's word will be successful because our leader is Jesus Christ? Secondly, how are you personally arming yourself with a better knowledge of the word of God? Personally, maybe in in a group with others, certainly by coming faithfully to God's house to hear his word proclaimed Sunday after Sunday. Third, Joshua is told what God's word says. Okay. Where are those areas in life today where we can, together, apply the truth of God's word? If I may use a a word of of pragmatism, how can we show the world that God's way is wisdom and that it works? It really, really works. Family life business principles, educational strategies, uh, enjoying God's creation. How can we work together as God's people to show that the word of God is right in all of life? Finally, is Jesus really Emmanuel? God is with us. Is his name a precious truth in our midst? We don't need to be afraid at all, brothers and sisters. We, we don't need to be afraid at all. For God himself is with us. Therefore, this chapter is a glorious introduction to what God is going to do through his chosen servant. Moses is dead, and you know, this Joshua too, when you get to the final chapter, he's going to die also. For this Joshua, Joshua 1, is but a man. You and I have a Joshua that has conquered death that is even seated at God's right hand, waiting for his enemies to become the footstool of his feet. That doesn't mean we face, uh, you know, we we don't have a rose garden of sweetness and light in all of life. No, Jesus said to his disciples, in this world you will have tribulation. In this world there will be spiritual battles. But take heart. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This is good news. Amen. Let us pray.
Gracious God, our Father, far too often our doubts and our fears take over. Far too often we reach for the, the tools of this world to force our way. But gracious God, your spirit is more powerful than the greatest armies in the world. Your word is pure gold, sweeter than the finest honey. And so, Father, we, we need your word even more. And we need the courage that your word and spirit can give to us to apply that word, to live out its principles in the church, in our families, in our schools, in our businesses, in our country, so that the world may see that the light has begun to dawn and the darkness shall not snuff it out. Gracious God, convince us of that. Write this word upon our hearts. May we always glorify Jesus, our King. We pray in his